Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 201. God dang, that's a lot of episodes. Uh, this is the official Marvel podcast of all news, new releases, stuff, stuff and things and big stacks of comics. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Marvel's Agent M, joined by no one. I'm rolling so low this week, uh, and I've got a bajillion comics to get through. We've got crazy stuff, uh, fun news. We've got our Twim URC, which is our reading club. We'll be talking about Aries later on in the show. A uh, whole bunch of stuff to get through. It's a good time for all. Uh, we're going to dive right in to the comics because we've got Age of Apocalypse number three up first, written by Fabian Nicieza, Nicieza and art by Gerardo Sandoval and colors by David Curiel. Um, this is uh, a little bit of back and forth in the Age of Apocalypse world, looking at stuff that happened in the past and stuff that's happening now. Um, the different sides, the different factions, the mutants, the humans, Apocalypse and his forces. Uh, there's this great two-page spread, which I really dig, that was uh, you know eight years ago in this world, where it's Magneto and his X-Men fighting uh, you know Apocalypse, Sebastian Shaw, Namor, and Essex. Essex being uh, Mr. Sinister, and Sebastian Shaw, such a cool character. I remember like he absorbs kinetic energy and becomes stronger if I remember correctly so like you punch him and he just is punching him is like the worst thing to do uh it's great super cool character but lots of fighting and and sort of we see that um pretty much everything's going to crap for Magneto and his crew it's like their forces are dwindling um you know they're they're fighting essentially a big old losing battle uh and they're trying to get and protect uh, this bomb that the humans have. Well, not protect it, but like everybody's going after this big bomb the humans have and uh, what all happens with the bomb and all the people going for it uh, is crazy, especially by the end. And it's just one of those things where this big character just makes this movie and you're like, damn it, you're such a tool. But I love you because you're such a great character. Um, so you'll get to that. No spoilers on that one. But uh, fun issue there. Then we've got Age of Ultron. You know, continuing the Age Ofs. This week we've got Age of Ultron versus Marvel Zombies. Written by James Robinson. Art by uh, Steve Pugh. Colors by... Uh, well, there's also flashback art by Paul Ravosh and John Rock. Uh, but the colors on Steve Pugh stuff, or maybe throughout, is Jim Charlampetus. Uh, so... We've got, you know, the three sort of... There's four main characters, more or less, in this book. You've got Vision, Wonder Man, uh, Human Torch, and Vision, Wonder Man, Human Torch, and Hank Pym. Hank Pym being from the, uh, like, the old-timey area of Battleworld, and the um, Vision, Human Torch, and Wonder Man all having sort of, like, these weird versions of humanity... Uh, one being, you know, two of them being sort of synthetic men uh, and one of them being ionic. And so their relationships and their place in this world is a big focus and a big sort of theme of this, which I think is great. And uh, Hank Pym is just, you know, is he's this character who's very, very smart, but comes from a different time and a different place where it just 
it's not on the same level. But he's doing his best, and he comes up with a way that he believes can turn the tide and uh, save uh, the humans and all these people who are in um, their, you know, this, this special land that they're in. Um, because coming after them from the Deadlands, um, uh, well, I, I should say that the special place where Human Torch, Human Hank Pym, all of them live, is called Salvation. That's this domed area. Uh, They're about to be onset by uh, creatures from the Deadlands and Perfection. So that's zombies and Ultron creations who have now combined to become the most terrifying, horrifying thing in the world. You've got, like, Magneto zombie with uh, Ultron body parts, but also still some of his rotting flesh therein. There's a really cool sequence as Ultron and Magneto are talking and talking about, you know, like, how they feel. Like, do they have feelings? Do they have emotions? Do they have any connection to what is considered very human things and uh, I love Magneto's responses throughout that but you know there's this big sacrifice play that Human Torch, Wonder Man and uh, Vision look like they'll have to do uh, in order to you know finalize Hank's uh, Hank Pym's plans and and save the day Uh, so it's a lot of like goodbyes and and big emotional stuff and then uh, in the face of sheer terror because you know things do not go very well for the people of salvation uh you could only keep them out so long and everybody on the good guys knew that so here uh is just how do they stop what is seemingly unstoppable so big stuff uh uh you know how do they fight this is all about what this story is about and yeah, I don't want to spoil anything because it has uh, a neat ending, and I like some of the you know the ways that uh, everything sort of shakes down. Um, and you, you kind of hope that there's some hope for both sides in this: the the humans and the uh, the you know outside the wall, the shield wall creatures. So we'll see. You'll have to read it. All right. After that, we've got Daredevil. Number 18. This is the final issue of the series uh, written by Mark Wade and Chris Somne. Well, storytellers. I like that credit. Storytellers are Mark Wade, Chris Somne, and colors by Matt Wilson. Uh, you guys listened to our last episode. You know, you heard Chris talk about uh, all the, uh, you know, doing the series and how proud of it he is. And there's a great text piece, you know, final page where uh, Mark and uh, Chris. And Matt and Joe Caramagna all talk about, you know, their feelings of doing this run and being on this series and how special it was. Because it really was. This was a friggin' great, great series. Uh, They really, you know, if you're looking for seminal Daredevil runs, this will have to be up there. There's no question about that. So, you know, kudos to this team. But this is really the the culmination of uh, this team doing their story with Matt and with Kingpin, with Matt's core group, uh, Kirsten and Foggy, and you've even, you know, you've got um, the former uh, Spider-Woman in here, and uh, how they get out of what was seemingly an, uh, a jam that they couldn't do, couldn't get out of. At the end of last issue, we saw that Ikari, this character who has all of Daredevil's powers, but can also see and is like also just a really really dangerous dude he got got by shroud so 
we open up with him holding on to Daredevil's mask, and it's like, what? Uh, all this crazy stuff going down. Um, I just, it's, it's beautiful storytelling, great dialogue, and the emotions uh, from everyone throughout this, uh, portrayed by you know Chris and, and the rest of the art team, just incredible. Like I'm looking at a page right now where the look of sheer mix of joy and hatred on Kingpin's face and it's only half his face but it's such a masterful panel and it's one panel out of a nine panel page and it's the middle of this giant battle between Kingpin and Daredevil and it's just it's awesome stuff uh, and there's you know how it shakes down how the characters get to the points where they can say this is over uh, fascinating but it's I, I like it also that we we get to this culmination of this fight of this war between Kingpin you know this, or I should say this battle because the war is never going to be over but the the battle between the two of them comes to an end but it's it's not over there's much more to go on you know we need um, closure for what's going on with Shroud with um, uh, with you know Owl and, and, and his daughter and uh, particularly the most important stuff Matt Foggy Kirsten and what is going on with them. There's great character stuff between the three of them by the end of the issue. Uh, really, really good stuff that it just leaves you feeling awesome about the series, awesome about the characters, and really you know, excited about where they go from here. Because from here, uh, the book goes over to Charles Soule, Ron Garney, taking it and running with it, and I know uh, a lot of Charles's plans, so I have no doubt it's going to be terrific. All right, we've got the Dark Tower, the drawing of the three, the Lady of Shadows, number one of five. So this is one of Stephen King's uh, books. He's creative director and executive director of this series. But, you know, I've got plot and consultation from Robin Firth, story, uh, the script itself by Peter David, art by Jonathan Marks, colors by Lee Lowridge, and it is a gorgeous book. I really, really like the art in here. It's 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 creepy and it's got um it's got a cool vibe, especially, you know, Lee's colors do such a great job of um sort of enhancing the the emotion and the tone of the story that this is all set in. And so this is, if you are a Dark Tower fan, this is about the, the Katet assembling. You've got, you know, Gunslinger Roland and Eddie Dean. They're together. They're looking to find the Dark Tower, but first they need to uh, get um, a woman who resides in our world, another member of their Katet. So it's a new chapter of the Dark Tower saga. Uh, it moves from Midworld to the streets of Mississippi. So pretty damn cool. Uh, great cover. Uh, really cool, especially if you are a Dark Tower fanatic. All right. Now we've got Deadpool versus Thanos, number one. Did I say Thanos or Thanos? It's Thanos. Anyway, Deadpool versus Thanos, number one. Uh, the great uh, – the cover that I have, at least, is uh, – it, it's so good. Um, it's by Trad Moore and Matt Wilson, but then you flip it open, and then there's like a second cover on the inside where the indicia is. The recap page is the action figure image that uses my toys. Uh, from my office, Judy Stevens took the photo. Uh, I think Jordan White asked if we could do it, um, and it's it's great. It's got a Deadpool with his swimmies on and facing off against uh, Thanos, uh, both Marvel Universe, three and three quarter inch figures. Um, but then we open it to the comic... Oh, and I should say, 
I should give you the creative team, should I not? Uh, it is written by Tim Seeley, art by Elmo Bondock, colors by Ruth Redman, and uh, opens up with um, Thanos pummeling Deadpool into bits, like just destruction. Uh, man, it's it's bleh. it gets pretty gruesome in here. Uh, but then we shift over to the day before as. Uh, <laughs> This is a great scene, really, really funny, of Doom relaxing on an island. He's um, relaxing on St. Cynthia Island, an island he owns, named after his mother. Very sweet, uh, but Deadpool is going after him. He's, he's got a hit out for him. Um, but then that really kicks off the mystery because he shoots, Deadpool shoots Doom point blank in the chest. Blood everywhere. But Doom is back up and rolling. And then we start to get into uh, the big, mis- the bigger mystery of all this, uh, because Deadpool himself, sort of, kind of dead, but not. He's in this half zone, and he's like, hey, checking out his uh, his lady death. But um, there's a big problem going on. People aren't dying, so that leads Deadpool on this big uh, trip, going around all these different places. He uh, he meets up with a Black Talon, a character I am not totally familiar with, um, but uh, Deadpool calls him Chicken Man, and it must be infuriating for him. We get Cameo from uh, Cable, we got the Avengers showing up, and we've got disgusting, bloody, violent grossness in here. Uh, but the mystery is what brings Deadpool and Thanos together, because what do they share in common? They share a, uh, a, a lady in common. And what is going on with her and everything about it uh, is, is the big driving force for them. It leads to the last page, big splash page, which is amazing. So good. Uh, I can't wait to see how that shakes out. All right. On to figment number two. Or, or I should say figment two number one. Uh, so this is the, the second, the follow-up to our original figment series. It's... Uh, Written by Jim Zub, art by Ramon Box, and colors by Jean-Francois Bellu. And so, you know, Dreamfinder and Figment got themselves through um, all the, the craziness of the original series. Um, and they find themselves in Earth um, now, modern-day Earth. Even though he was from, you know, 150-odd years ago, um, they find themselves on Earth. But before we even get there, you've got a, uh, a story... Uh, that opens up on a little girl who's like this scientist girl and um, she wants to go to the uh, the Academy Scientific Scientifica Lucidus is that what it's called? I believe that's what it's called anyway the school that uh, is basically based on um, you know Dreamfinder's principles and sort of spun out of what he did. Yeah, the Academy Scientifica Lucidus, established in 1881 uh, for Disney fans. There's tons of really cool little things in here. Um, even if you're like a periphery, peripheral Disney fan, uh, I think you're going to dig like how they place this and place the school and, and everything about it. Uh, it's really neat as we see um, things that happen in our world or, or things that exist in our world and how they're reflected in here and how uh, the events of the original story have shaped the world that uh, we see this story set in now. So it's really cool. Uh, 
the Dreamfinder and Figment find themselves at the school, and wackiness ensues. But it's it's fascinating. It's really really cool story where um, you know everything isn't as cracked up as uh, isn't what it's cracked up to be. Grass is always greener on the other side, something like that. Um, but one thing that Dreamfinder needed was was that hope and that spark of imagination. And I think uh, that'll be a key here for him to keep going and help himself and Figment through some big obstacles standing in front of them. All right, we've got Future Imperfect, number five up now. I believe this is the last issue of the series. Uh, love this series. Uh, they always, we've, we've been seeing in the, the first page is sort of a little bit of the recap, a little bit of that Secret Wars, um, you know, explanation, but it's also... Um, got this like um look at the maestro's uh i don't know museum because he's defeated all the 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 heroes and the super powered characters in his domain but uh so he's taken all their things and you know one issue we saw weapons or pieces of you know clothing or whatever and now in this one exhibiting the season is the hall of footwear uh so good i just think it's a really sweet touch that Sweet and like super cool, dude. Not like aw. Um, great touch that they did in this. The uh, it's written Future Imperfect. It's written by Peter David. Art by Greg Land. Inks by Jay Lyston and colors by Nolan Woodard. And uh, so at the end of the last issue, you know, Maestro and uh, Ross, who looks like the Thing, have traveled to this this sacred area uh, within Battle World that um, will lead them to like. Um, this this special place where they will get the destroyer. The maestro wants to get the destroyer armor, put it on, and take down Doom. And guarding the destroyer is uh, is Rick Jones, naturally. Um, so there's just terrific dialogue as Peter David tends to do. Writes a really great scene. A lot of stuff between uh, Rick and Bruce as Bruce, who is now the maestro, sort of talking through some of their anger and history between each other. And uh, Jones is like, look, you you want it. It's right there. Go. And Maestro's like, ah, I won't be tricked. Rah, rah. You know, you're just fooling, pulling my leg, blah, blah, blah. And what ensues is just such a great sequence of events. I was like, wait, what? What the hell's going on? Uh, it's really, really terrific. Uh, crazy big action. There's this one, uh, there's two-page sequence I'm looking at right now where Maestro is fighting another character, trying not to spoil anything, but there's this one shot that is so Kirby-esque. I love it so much. Um, But we've got, you know, all this fighting, all this crazy stuff, and then sort of that moment where we back out, and it's like, oh, you got me. And it was terrific. Um, It's it's a somber, kind of sad almost sweet ending uh, but a very exceptionally terrific ending to Future Imperfect love that love it love it love it alright speaking of books we love Groot number four written by Jeff Loveness art by Brian Kessinger and uh, he tackles all of it I mean this is these guys uh, Jeff and Brian are killing it on this series I love it so much Uh, Groot is basically on a quest to find and rescue Rocket They've been separated. All kinds of bad stuff has happened. Rocket is, like, trapped like nobody's business. Um, He's got this... uh, He's essentially bait for Groot for uh, for this character. 
She's a bounty hunter named uh, Eris. Um, she's you know, there's a huge bounty on Groot's head, and so she captures Rocket in order to get in Groot. Um, but there's you know ter- terrific and really funny dialogue in here, but the meat of it and the joy is all things Groot. And yeah, he's a character who says three things, but um, you know Brian Kessinger does such a great job with you know emoting. Uh, the art does tells the story so well. We get introduced to a ton of characters in here. Uh, we've got Mantron, who's this um, intergalactic uh, service robot who is um, programmed to you know uh, you know give pump pump fuel in this like space. Uh, gas station. It's really terrific and talking with Groot. Uh, and then we get squirrels that show up. Uh, it's just, there's a lot of really funny stuff in here. I highly like this does a great job of, of being a very funny like comedy book with those bits of uh, feelings and emotion that, that you want. And there's two pages um, in particular, where we're introduced to uh, another new character in here. She's this sort of cosmic-y, um, abstract-y type character. Um, her name is Numinous. Uh, and talking with Groot, like there's two pages where she's sort of looking back at, at, at history and stuff like that, and then he is um, in his own way expressing uh, a thought about history, and there's two counterpoints, and it's really terrific keep saying terrific because it is there's a a wonderful gag with the scrolls in here and really it's Groot and the ragtag group of uh, you can't call them heroes they're just sort of outcasts all of them and I think that's that's the point right they're they're outcasts and they're going to save Rocket Um, but you know I I think you've got three scrolls an outdated robot and a cosmic entity who's um, not quite on the same level as, say, an eternity or anything, uh, have a little bit of trouble, but leads us to the last page, which is an homage to uh, a very classic Uncanny X-Men story and uh, scene from the Claremont Byrne era that made me so happy. I love this so much. Alright, on to Hell Hydra, number two. Uh, why did I go Scottish on that? It just happened. Let's just embrace it. Uh, Hail Hydra, number two, written by Recommender, art by Roland Boshi, colors by Chris Chuckery and Rochelle Rosenberg. Um, and this is, you know, it's, we start out, well, we start out with like a flashback to Dimension Z with Ian uh, Rogers and Steve Rogers sort of learning lessons and battling and surviving. But then we flash forward to now battle world as Ian is fighting essentially, you know, a, someone who looks just like him, uh, another son of uh, Zola, um, who's Leopold, who is just awful, just nasty old jerk who, uh, has got his own thoughts on what to do. Arnim, uh, is trying to control him, trying to reel in Ian, but um, things sort of take a turn, and then boom, we're introduced to this underground resistancy type group here, which is full of things that you're just going to be pouring over, I'm sure, and, you know, the Carol Danvers, the, the Hank Pym, the Clint Barton, the 
you know, Jenna Van Dyne. Like, lots of little things in here that you're going to be like, whoa, that is twisted. That is really, really great. It's very, like, it's it's very what-if-y in all the right ways um, as they sort of interact with Ian uh, and there's a lot of mistrust and a lot of confusion um, but then all hell breaks loose uh, really great twists on a bunch of characters in here and it's it's a it's a bit upsetting there's some some crazy nastiness going on here and pulling no punches uh, throughout this and we'll see how this shakes out for all those characters all right we've got house of m number two Written by uh, Dennis Hopeless and Cullen Bunn. Art by Marco Faila. And colors by Matt Wilson. Um, so I think, you know, we're establishing there's this underground uh, human resistance that Death Locket is sort of at the core of. Uh, and she's rescued Misty Knight and Black Cat and Hawkeye. All the while, uh, you've got Magneto sort of thinking, like, eh, I've beaten everybody. I'm, I'm the king of the, the roost over here. I'm kind of bored. I'm going to play chess with this mysterious character. Um, while that's going on, the plots are really starting to turn against him uh, in a number of ways. You've got the humans who are coming up with a big plan uh, to, to fight and resist them. Uh, you've got Magneto's grandsons, um, uh, Wiccan and Speed, who are uh, rebelling against... Uh, against Magneto and sort of like seeing the injustice against the humans uh, because they're young and they're brash and they don't know the horrors that uh, have gotten them to this point that the humans probably perpetrated against mutants. Um, crazy, scary Scarlet Witch stuff right in the middle here. And it's like really cool, really nasty. Uh, so you've got the humans resisting. You've got the uh, the royal grandsons, you know, sort of rebelling and goofing off. And then you've got Namor, who's got a compatriot, uh, who they're planning to um, attack against the uh, against Magneto and, and pretty much anyone on the surface. So all these things are starting to come together in one big way, all at once. And it leads to a wild battle, you know, in Magneto's in- inner sanctum. Uh, the a mysterious character who we see at the very beginning is revealed, and it made me so friggin' happy. So cool. It's scary as all get out. Like, they bring this character in, and it's one of my favorite characters. I may or may not have a tattoo of this character. Um, is, like, given real weight and, and like, a terrifying um angle to it which makes me really happy because i think um done right uh, done done right with that intention is so good um so craziness ensues big old um epicness coming to us right by the end and it's just going to be i can imagine issue three is just going to be the most violent crazy war thing ever it's gonna be great all right um we've got miracle man uh issue number one of this new series. This is um, Miracle Man by Gaiman and Buckingham, number one. Uh, I think it's out this week. It's not on the list, but it's in my stack. So I'm going to talk about it. And so this is uh, actually, you know, brings in uh, stuff from uh, Miracle Man number 17, which was from 1990. Written by Neil Gaiman, art by Mark Buckingham, uh, colors by Disraeli, and um, letters by Todd Klein. Classic. Uh, sort of 
it, it is the golden age. This is the start of Neil and, and Mark's run on the series, and it was um, after the incredible destruction that uh, you know that happened through London as Kid Miracle Man just went on a rampage, and uh, you know what happened after that as Miracle Man and, and the rest of like the heroes sort of came together and and created this better world full of peace and 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 much more and they built this giant i don't know pyramid temple thing uh where the destruction in london was so that the core of this is less about miracle man and more about the world and the the people who inhabit it which is a, it's a great angle to take as you you start off with four characters four regular ordinary people who embark on traveling up this giant structure to go and beseech Miracle Man for, you know, a, a prayer, a wish, uh, something. They want to meet who is essentially, you know, a, a god character. Uh, and it's, you know, this fascinating story of what they encounter along the way. Just beautiful, uh, very fascinating stuff that Gaiman and Buckingham come up with as they're, you know, making this trek. What is inside this giant structure is just amazing. And uh, what they have to go through to get to that point and what ultimately happens when they reach this, you know, they, they will they get there? How do they get there? Do they all get there? What happens after that? We shall see. Uh, so it's a really great start to their story, uh, to to the Game and Buckingham story. And then there's this, you know, very fascinating, crazy two-page sequence called Retrieval One, as Miracle Man sort of like kisses, makes this like robot creature, uh, and where it goes. That that'll be a thread through uh, further issues in this. We get tons of back issue or back matter and like uh, concept drawings and and promo pieces, and we get the the really really cool stuff uh, in here is pages from the script from Neil Gaiman's script and sort of like 1990 Neil Gaiman sort of being super geeked out about doing this and really excited and, and kind of nervous and, and really jazzed it's it's fascinating I implore you to read this because it's, it's a classic in comics but it's also full of great background material in here um, yeah so good all right, uh, on to Mockingbird Shield 50th anniversary special, big old giant hunkin' issue. Uh, the main story is written by Chelsea Kane, with art by Joelle Jones and colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and it is all about you know Bobby Morse. Um, if you are watching Marvel's Agents of Shield on ABC, you know Mockingbird uh, is is just this. Awesome character, badass secret agent, uh, smart as a whip, uh, been involved with some stupid guys. Uh, a lot of fun stuff here. In this, we we explore a little bit of the relationship stuff, but more um, about who she is and where she comes from uh, from a certain point in her life where, you know, she was, a, I believe, a biochemist um, back in the day. And she had a uh, a mentor, a shield, you know, researcher, um, who really sort of helped her along the way, Dr. Percy Calvin. And um, I'm sorry, Dr. Percy Calvin is uh, the son 
uh, of, of the character uh, Wilma Calvin, a famed biochemist and really uh, Bobby's mentor. Um, and Bobby's trying to figure out how Wilma died, why she died, uh, and, you know, a little bit of sleuthing, a little bit of sciencing. Uh, it's a really cool, um, different story than we get from Mockingbird. It's not just, um, you know, infiltration, take out the batons, and beat the living hell out of some people. There's, you know, her uh, getting her hands dirty in, in a morgue and doing some science. I love seeing the science happen here. Uh, and she's smart. She's figuring out the mystery as she goes along. Um, and it's just a really, really great story. I, I had, I'll be honest, I wasn't familiar with Chelsea Kane before this, but she's uh, this, you know, really great famous writer who has done a lot of mystery and thrillers and all this other stuff. And it, it shows in here. This was, this had me on the edge of my seat. And I was like, oh, my God, Bobby, get up, get up, get up, because she runs into a big roadblock. Uh, but it's a mix of funny. It's a mix of really sad and really, um, you know, in some ways uh, inspiring, a very inspiring story uh, for, you know, seeing someone who comes from one place and getting to another and trying to find themselves uh, and what's right and what's wrong and not necessarily coming to a 100 percent complete conclusion great Mockingbird story. Like, really, really terrific. Made me very happy. Uh, then uh, we've got a backup story or a secondary story, I should say, um, that is introducing a brand new character. This is our Red Widow First Strike story, written by Margaret Stoll, art by Nico Leon, colors by Andres Mosa. Uh, Margaret, uh, as you may know, is writing Black Widow Forever Red. It's a new YA novel coming out in October. Uh, so that's super exciting, and she's introducing here uh, Red Widow into you know this world. And Red Widow, her connection to Black Widow, um, you know where each of them stands in the world, uh, and sort of similarities and relationships to each other. It's really cool. Definitely going to inform um, you know. Hopefully, if you're going to read the the novel, uh, which we hope you do. It'll uh, it'll tell us a little bit more about this character, the Red Widow, and uh, we will see more of her. Um, all right, on to Silk, number seven. This is a last day's issue written by Robbie Thompson, art by Tana Ford, colors by Ian Herring. Um, this is m- one of my favorite of all the last day's issues. Uh, it was definitely one of the ones that... We, uh, I think that we've, been, we've done really well with these last day's issues in terms of evoking uh, emotion and, and and sort of like that sense of scale. Uh, something giant is happening, but we can pull back uh, or zoom in rather on someone in their life and, and this right at the end. Uh, and right at the end here where um, uh, we're looking at at Cindy Moon, who is Silk, and um, she's having some trouble. She's at a therapist, uh, but it's right, it literally right at the end of the world. People are freaking out. Uh, and she works, you know, for J. Jonah, J. Jonah Jameson, who calls her Analog, which makes me so happy. It's such a great nickname. Uh, but Jonah calls her into his office and says, you know, like knows what she's sort of going through. She's looking for her family. She's trying to figure out where she is in this world. And he's got one last story as the world comes crumbling down and uh, it's of major relevance to her. And it's 
part of it is as Cindy goes from his office to seeing, you know, coworkers and this really sort of heart-wrenchingly sweet uh, ending for these characters and um, Cindy being this amazing hero. She's trying to do something for herself, but she can't resist the, the, the pull of helping people and being this great person. Um, in spite of all this craziness, uh, we get a callback to a character who we've seen uh, previously in the series, which I thought was awesome. Uh, really like neat moment there. Uh, but ultimately, it's all about these last couple pages. And, oh man. <sighs> Gut Punch City. Robbie Thompson, so freaking good. Uh, Tana Ford, I've never, I've never seen her work before. Really, really great. But I love Silk, and um, we will see much more of her. Apologize, you guys. My voice is going. Trying to get through all these while still being able to talk. Doing my best. All right. A couple more to go. We've got Silver Surfer, number 14. Another Last Days book. And this one is, like, as intimate as Silk was. This is so big. Uh, I mean, it's great because you open up to the first story page and uh, we've got Dawn with her arms wide open. You know, let's bring everything in the universe back. Uh, uh, which is just, it's terrific. Um, you know, this is uh, written by Dan Slott and art by Mike Allred, colors by Laura Allred. Uh, just a terrific story. You got Silver Surfer and Don Greenwood have found their way out of existence uh, and may have a way to bring everything back. They've got the Shaper of Worlds, and, um, you know, you've got these other characters here, the. Uh, 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 Glorian, the um, the maker of miracles, and this dude Z, and the shape of world, like all this stuff. They're like, we can bring everything back. You just need, you know, heart. You need imagination, and you need uh, Silver Surfer's power. So it's like a great mix because Dawn is heart and hope and excitement and and imagination. Uh, so boom, we get rolling and. Dawn brings back her family and friends and, and, and where she grew up. And she's like, I'm going to recreate Earth. And at the same time, Surfer's off and uh, he's like, I'm going to create everything else. And it's just really, really cool stuff. Uh, you think, this is great. They could do it. Um, and slightly, slowly, things start spinning out of control. A little bit here, a little bit there. Maybe something's wrong over here. Maybe that doesn't fit in maybe that doesn't that's not what the universe was and that's happening and the shape of worlds is sort of like what no 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 and you know dawn can feel it and surfer kind of feels it uh and then there's this like crazy not the preview page for the next issue but the last story page is like whoa oh hello um Really great story. I love what Dan and Mike and, and everybody are doing on that book. Um, huge, big imagination and tons of heart. And, you know, it's it's great because you could take a character like Silver Surfer and who is so alien and humanize him so well. Kudos to them. All right, we've got Spider Island number three, written by Christos Gage, art by Paco Diaz, colors by Frank Darmada. And, uh, you know, you guys, we hear you. You love Lizard Hulk. You love um, Vampire uh, Captain Marvel. 
You love Cap Wolf and Spider characters and all this other crazy stuff. And this is um, this is big fight. This is a big fight book. Uh, it starts out with um, our hero characters, you know, sort of breaking uh, Peter Parker out of the Spider Queen's uh, you know research lab. Everybody thought Spider Man was dead, but he's not. Um, but a lot of this falls on Venom, and who is trying his best to take the lead and save the day. And it's cool to see the dynamic between Flash Thompson and Peter Parker uh, as they now realize, you know, one is Venom, one is Spider-Man. All this is going on, and they're trying to come up with a way to turn the tide and stop all the uh, the spiderizing of these characters. Uh, Spider-Queen hits where it's, you know, hits Spider-Man where it hurts with his, you know, family and friends and, and people he cares about. Uh, giant battles, uh, traps, lures, um, shenanigans, <laughs> and uh, I, there's a really cool bunch of Tony Stark stuff in here. In this world, Tony Stark has now taken the uh, Green Goblin's goblin formula in order to stave off the, uh, the you know, Queen's influence and the spider to stop himself from turning into the spider character. But, you know, it's like trading one uh, problem for another. So the spider, the uh, the goblin formula is turning him kind of crazy and twisting his mind a little bit. There's this point where he's still in his Iron Man armor, but he's changed the colors and they look green and purple. He's got his Iron Man boots, but he's rolling along on, you know, the goblin glider. Uh, and, then, you know, Spider-Man and everybody realize he's he doesn't have a lot of time. Great big heroic moments in here. Uh, and, and we'll see how this... We've got two more weeks until the next issue. So not a long wait, but um, hopefully the heroes uh, can can make it out alive. And heroes include Stegron, which is awesome. Uh, secondary story in this issue is uh, The Enemy Within, a Mayday Parker Spider-Woman story by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends uh, with Sal Buscema and Andrew Crossley. So we've got Mayday sort of she's uh she's confused and she's her mind is being manipulated she's seeing things that aren't you know she's not seeing what's really in front of her and that's causing her to battle uh her fellow avengers so it's just a you know chaos and confusion and um you know poor poor j2 uh which is the juggernaut's kid he's got this crazy helmet and um just a whole bunch of characters and we see a maybe a character from the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, show up at the core of all this. And uh, it's, it's a really fun story. If you've not read the MC2 Spider-Girl uh, Spider and now Spider-Woman stuff, it's it's a lot of fun and uh, a great, you know, it started out as a what-if. You know, Mayday Parker was a latter-day what-if story that was so popular, she got her own book, which is awesome. Uh, it's almost Spider-Gwen-esque, right? All right, we've got uh, Squadron Sinister, number three. I love this book so much. Written by Mark Guggenheim, color, uh, pencils by Carlos Pacheco, inks by Mariano Taibo, and colors by Frank uh, Martin. And, um, you know, it's it's really about Nighthawk being manipulative and mean and dangerous, right? You know, like he is... Um, he's just smarter than everyone else. He ain't got no superpowers, but he's smarter, he's craftier, and he knows how to move the pieces around to get what he wants. Uh, so he's 
basically uh, instigated a giant, um, you know, rebellion against Hyperion. Hyperion being super all powerful, like can crush anything in his hands and blast it apart with his his death ray eye beams. Uh, but he's not as smart as Nighthawk, and so uh, Nighthawk has been manipulating a whole bunch of characters, villains. Uh, fellow heroes, people in their squadron. Or I guess they're not heroes, right? They're they're kind of dicks. Uh, but you know, manipulating people in the squadron and people in the uh, you know neighboring domains because um, they they want to usurp power. Or uh, Hyperion wants to get all the power, and Nighthawk is uh, doing his best to try and stop that. So. We've got really cool stuff with um, Dr. Spectrum in here and, uh, you know, Warrior Woman and uh, Wizard, like the core group of the squadron. Um, some big stuff happens <laughs> to them throughout this issue. Uh, and Giant Fight, I like what, you know, Guggenheim and everybody, they're bringing a whole bunch of characters in here, which if Ben were here, I'd be like, Ben, who is this character, uh, this this lady in the white and... Uh, uh, who's this other guy? This um, you know, Yankee Clipper. I like. I feel like I know the name, but I don't know uh, him very well. Like uh, Nightingale and Yankee Clipper, they ring familiar, but I don't know enough about them to give a lot of background information. Uh, we also get to peek into some Bone Zone action that had gone down between Hyperion and Wonder Woman. Got to make it to the Bone Zone once this podcast. Um, all that said. Giant battles right at the end, and uh, epic manipulation. It will be fascinating to see how it all shakes out. I really, really, really love this series. It's uh, just one more issue left. Such a good one. All right. On to Star-Lord and Kitty Pride, another book I love. Uh, written by Sammy Humphreys. Art by Alti Firmancia. Colors by Jessica Colleen. Colline? Colleen? It opens up with um, an upside-down shot as Kitty Pride and Star-Lord have been captured by that scumbag uh, Gambit, uh, the worst of the worst. And, uh, you know, how will they get out of this? It's a great, great question. Um, also, big props to uh, Sam and everybody for including Widget in this, which is this, like, little robot thing. Um, but we get to learn in, in the, you know, in the battle world of it all, uh, which it is a sort of variation on, um, you know, on Kitty Pride. Uh, we got this cool look at, hey, there are, you know, different, there's a Kitty Pride in all these different domains. They're all, you know, sort of the same, but different. And this one, uh, is, uh, has a sweet spot or soft spot for Star-Lord because let's face it all kitties uh, kitty prides have a soft spot for Star-Lord as we find out in this series Uh, great stuff big ol' um, shenanigans happening Uh, I like shenanigans today guys say shenanigans one more time Uh, that's a Super Troopers reference I'm sure you got that right? you got it Um, uh, Gambit just such a jerk. He's using Longshot's blades and uh, trying to uh, stop Kitty and Peter from escaping. Um, 
But then there's an uh, an appearance of a character, and you're like, whoa, why is he getting involved? And it turns into awesomeness and hilarity. And just I love the alternate versions of some of the core characters in here. Then we get this crazy emotional moment. you got to remember that the Peter uh, Quill, the Star-Lord in here, is the one that we're familiar with from the Marvel Universe. So, like, there's some big emotional stuff right near the end. You're like, damn. Just like that. Damn. Uh, But huge props to Alti for doing some really great visual stuff, especially with facial expressions and eyes. Alti draws terrific eyes. Like, really, really cool and and very uh, emotive eyes. Really great everything. This is a hell of a series. I loved it so much. I love where these characters end up. Uh, sort of the the wide open possibilities laid before them by the end of it. It's so good. Such a fun series. Kudos, Sam and crew. All right, wrapping up our books for this week, we've got Thor's, Thor's number three, written by Jason Aaron, pencils by Chris Sprouse and Goran Sadzuka, inks by Carl Story and Dexter Vines, colors by Marte Gracia and Israel Silva. And, uh, you know, so by the first issue, I think it was right at the end of the first issue, uh, Beta Ray Thor killed. His partner, who is, you know, Ultimate Thor, um, is, is on the case and leading a charge to find the killer. We were introduced to Loki in the, you know, by the end of last issue and Loki has been sort of uh, playing around with the Thors and, 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 you know, he's kind of crazy, kind of a jerk uh, and talking about the Jane Fosters and the Donald Blakes and, and the weirdness around them and how they are core to everything that's going on here with the death of Beta Ray Thor and so much more. Uh, all that Plus, we've got a bunch of Thors that just are hanging out about here. And the Thor, which is the you know the, the dog Thor, and we've got Frog Thor, and Groot Thor, and Destroyer Thor, and Cranky Old Man Thor, and just so good. But uh, there's a lot of really great character stuff between Loki and uh, our quote-unquote ultimate Thor in here in, in, in terms of an interrogation. And Loki leads... Uh, leads ultimate Thor on a chase and seemingly could be a trick could be um, to the the wrong place but looks like we're going into uh, like our ultimate Thor is is getting closer to some answers and then boom craziness ensues and uh, poor Thorleaf who is uh, our ultimate Thor's name Thorleaf is not in a good way by the end of this issue hopefully Hopefully, someone can come save his butt. All right. Holy Free Holies, it was a tough week to pick uh, a twim of the week for me. Um, and uh, it's really serious. you got Daredevil 18 is such a great final issue of that series, of that run. Groot number four is fantastic. The Mockingbird uh, one-off is so good. Silk, Terrific. Star-Lord and Kitty Pride, Squadron... Like, I'm literally trying to whittle it down, and it is very tough, but I'm giving it to Daredevil. I'm giving it to, uh, you know, Samney, Wade, Wilson. Last run and last issue for, for them. Hell of a way to go out. So friggin' good. All right, 
time for collections on sale this week. Small week, compared, especially compared to last week. Uh, we've got all-new X-Men Volume 2 in hardcover. Avengers by Jonathan Hickman, Volume 2 in hardcover. And Jessica Jones, Alias, Volume 1 in trade paperback. Now remember, that's a Max book. But if you're of age, you better go get that. Please. So good. All right. Digital comics on sale this week. Uh, much of what we talked about available on the Marvel app, but not Dark Tower and not Miracle Man because those are the mature books. So if you um, if you want to get them digitally, you have to get them on Comixology's store. That's how you get those. Uh, but in addition to those, we've also got Ultimate Spider-Man Infinite Comic number 13 and X-Men 92 Infinite Comic number 8. Uh, also on the Marvel app this week, we've got Daredevil uh, issues 85 through 96 of the original series, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Marvel Boy, number one from the original 1950 series. Menace, number 11 from 1953. I'd have to look that up. I'm not even sure what that is. Uh, Punisher War Journal, issues 13 through 26 from the 2006 run, as well as the War, Punisher War Journal Annual that came out in 2008. Uh, Venus, one from 1948, and Yellow Claw, number one from 1956. My gut says those are all Agents of Atlas uh, characters. Um, Their original appearances, so definitely Marvel Boy, um, Venus, yep, definitely, and Yellow Claw. So that's that's where I'm going with that one. So cool, um, old-school classic Agents of Atlas characters in their original Atlas-run books. Uh, digital collections on sale this week. We've got Captain America, Allies and Enemies, Lockjaw and the Pet Avengers, which is terrific, uh, New X-Men, Academy X, Volume 2, Haunted, and Young Avengers Presents. Now, Marvel Unlimited. We've got 42 new books in the uh, in Marvel Unlimited this week, including Elektra, number 11, Guardians Team-Up, number 2, Darth Vader, number 2, Deadpool 42, Inhuman 12, uh, Marvel Universe, Ultimate Spider-Man, Web Warriors, number four. S.H.I.E.L.D., number three, which is a terrific issue. Uh, Secret Avengers, number 13. Spider-Gwen, number one. If you've not read, Spider-Gwen is now in Marvel Unlimited. Ain't no excuses. Spider-Man and the X-Men, number three. Spider-Man 2099, number nine. Superior Iron Man, number five. Thor Annual, number one. Uh, wrestling fans, that's the CM Punk issue. It's also Noel Stevenson in there, and it's so damn good. So, 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 so good. Uh, Wolverines, number eight. X-Men Legacy, number 260.1. And then uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. We've got uh, What If Astonishing X-Men, number one. We've got a whole bunch of issues from Squadron Supreme from 2008, so issues 7 through 10. Uh, a bunch of classic Fantastic Four. Um, man, a bunch. We've got issue 309 through 311, and 325 through 333. Uh, some neat stuff. You've got Crazy Mutated Thing up in here. Uh, you've got yeah, all kinds of cool, cool stories up in here. I love seeing the crazy, rocky, super weird-looking thing. A uh, bunch of old Avengers issues from the original run. Issues 255 through 259. So we've got Terminus showing up in there. Uh, Fire Lord. You know, why not? 
Awesome stuff. Uh, and then some of my favorite stuff, classic original series What If Issues. So what if, you, what if number 34, which is the gag issue but has like jokey stuff from Frank Miller and Bill Sienkiewicz. Um, then what – you know, issues 35, 36, 37, and 38. Um, you know, stuff with Beast and Thing and uh, Daredevil and Captain America and so much more. Um the what if number 35 is yeah that's the uh, what if Electra had lived that's a Frank Miller what if and then it also has what if Yellow Jacket had died and 36 is um, um, yeah 36 is what if the Fantastic Four had not gained superpowers with a Nova uh, Richard Rider what if story back up so basically what I'm saying is so good read all them what ifs read every what if you can get your hands on because it's just super fun stories okie dokie time for the news um let's see as i'm sure you know since you probably subscribe to the podcast issue 200.5 was a big old tv special with Kristen Ritter, who plays Jessica Jones on Marvel's Jessica Jones for netflix uh, clark gregg who plays agent colson and many more awesome stuff Good job to Strami and Blake for pulling that one together. It's a great way to uh, cap off our big 200th episode spectacular. Uh, Marvel Unlimited Plus News, Rescue, uh, the, the new box that features the Rescue figure. You can find out about that on the site if you are, uh, you know, if you are a subscriber and looking, you know, subscribe right at the start of Marvel Unlimited. You know, renewals are coming up soon, so that box will be shipping out. If you've not subscribed to Marvel Unlimited Plus, now is the time to do it. This is uh, this is an awesome box. I'm really excited about it. A lot of cool stuff in it. We'll delve more into that in time. Um, but now is the time to get it because the rescue figure in that box is available while supplies last. Uh, my gut says supplies won't last for very super long we have a ton of them but i think it's gonna sell like crazy so fingers crossed you guys get it if you want it uh we also have a marvel unlimited update coming on the way just for the app just trying to refine it make it better all the time uh new mini mates there's a walgreen exclusive uh animated wave uh should be available real soon uh some cool stuff from the marvel cartoons that are on disney xd uh, we announced that Greg Weissman and Dominique Stanton are doing Starbrand and Nightmask, taking those characters who are uh, friends, bringing them to college, giving them sort of like almost their cosmic-y type characters, they're Avengers, but now they need to come back to reality and to life. And Greg Weissman, so good, did Star Wars Kanan, uh, worked on Gargoyles, and just, you know, he's great. He's pretty great. Uh, all right, we've got an iTunes Super Room for Marvel Television, which is going to pull in all kinds of cool stuff, and you can pre-order um, or pre-buy, pre-order the Marvel's Agents of the Shield season three, and you get exclu- exclusive content, and there'll be more. You know, as we'll be adding more stuff to the Super Room in time. We announced that uh, writer Robbie Thompson and artist Ariel Olivetti are taking on a new Venom book, uh, putting you know Venom in, in space, and that's going to be awesome. Especially Ariel Olivetti is terrific. I believe we did we did a Twim URC on the last Avenger story, which uh, was drawn by Ariel, and uh, it's classic. Um, really, just great sort of like this painted art. I love love. And Robbie Thompson, as we talked about earlier in this episode, is fantastic. Uh, we did a story on Thor's five mightiest moments in the MCU. 
Uh, slickly, GameStop announced that uh, the Deadpool game is coming to Xbox One and PS4. So that's awesome. Uh, I've known about that, but I wasn't sure it was going to come out publicly yet. And uh, it's very cool. You can get more information. Check out GameStop's website and uh, all that stuff. More to come on that. Uh, and then we also... I'm going to keep hitting this home over the next couple episodes. Live episode of This Week in Marvel at New York Comic Con. It's uh, part of New York Comic Con Super Week. It'll be on the Tuesday before New York Comic Con starts on Thursday. It'll be at uh, Discovery Times Square, which is where Avengers Station was, which is where we did the live This Week in Marvel last year. We have, we're already lining up guests. Blake has some really funny, really wacky, crazy people. Uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, one of our favorite comic uh, creators will be there. Uh, I'm figuring out free stuff for everyone who attends. Uh, mix of comics, hopefully some toys, maybe uh, something from our game partners, and something special if you are going to the convention and you know want to get in on some of that uh, sweet exclusive stuff. Hopefully I've got a way to make it easier, but only if you come to the live this week at Marvel. So, I expect to see many of you there, hopefully. Um, spread the word, there's a fair number of seats that we're going to have available, but I want this one packed to the gills. Uh, I really, really think we can do a lot of fun stuff there, and, and I want to give a lot of fun stuff away. So to do all that, I need you all to show up more. Like I said, I will keep hitting this home as we go along. But speaking of hitting things home, I'm going to send it over to Strami and the Wolfman. Let them do what they do so well, and then I'll come back with this week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club of Ares. Hello there, this week in Marvelite. This is Marvel.com Mayor Mark Strom, joined by... Marvel.com Assistant Editor Patrick Cavanaugh, Pretty. also a member of the musical group Ting Ting. No, not Ting t- Ting Tings. All right, now you threw off the whole intro. I was telling Patrick about the musical group, the Ting Tings, and Patrick was unfamiliar with them, and I was quoting them, and it was a whole thing. Anyway, you're not here to listen to us talk about... Are you sure? Yeah, I think everyone sure. turns no, no, tunes into no, this. Pretty sure, pretty sure they're not. Do you tune into a podcast? Yes. Because you don't have to like adjust anything on your dial. It's a saying. Um. Anyway, this week, what we got going on this week? Uh, we had our big this week in Marvel, uh, 200th spectacular. Uh, because unlike what I said last week. When I insisted last week was episode 199. That's last right. Week was actually episode 200. Feels like so long ago. This is episode 201. Uh, for the 200.5 special, uh, Patrick and I talked to a bunch of our TV talent, including uh, Marvel's Jessica Jones star, Kristen Ritter, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. star, Clark Gregg, uh, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy star, Wilfred Dell, and Marvel's Agents, Marvel's Agent Carter, executive producers, uh... Tara Butters, Michelle Fazekas, and Chris Dingus. Um, and speaking of Marvel's Agent Carter, we also, probably just a short time before this podcast went up, uh, announced that we have begun production on season two of Marvel's Agent Carter with a special on-set photograph that we posted this morning, hopefully right before you're listening to this. And in other TV news, uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. also launched a iTunes Super Room. It's Marvel Television's first ever 
Super Room. It's basically a one-stop shop for all things Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You can pre-order the third season pass for Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And if you do, you get an exclusive behind-the-scenes featurette that previews a car stunt from an upcoming episode uh, that we ourselves actually produced here at Marvel.com. I'm very proud of that piece. Uh, big shout-out to Nick Harluck for shooting it, to Brian Stevie for editing it, and for Harry Go and Jan Whitlock and Henry Young and Annie Jeffroy. None, none of these people are listening. I don't care. I still want to give them credit. Uh, and everyone else who helped with all sorts of clearances and getting approvals and all sorts of lovely things. So, you can check that out if you pre-order Season 3. Also, for a limited time, you can uh, get Seasons 1 and 2 of the series for a special price. So, if you're interested in catching up before Season 3 premieres Tuesday, September 29th at 9, 8 Central on ABC, you can catch up on those. You can also find uh, episodes of This Week in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast in the Super Room. You can find related S.H.I.E.L.D. comic books in the Super Room. You can find all sorts of goodies. Head over to marvel.com uh, in order to find it, or you can just go to your iTunes and do a search for Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Whew. I think that's all I got for this week, Patrick. What you got? Well, in other television-related news, we posted the last of the Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy animated shorts, which featured Gamora. Those went live on Sunday, and those have all been leading up to a sneak preview this Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Disney XD of the very first episode of Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy entitled Road to Nowhere. How do you think nowhere is spelled, Mark? Do you know how to spell? M-A-R-C-S-T-R-O-M. No. Very close. Very close. I think some of those letters are in it. Okay. No, it's K-N-O-W-H-E-R-E. Get it? Nowhere, road to nowhere. Like the like the giant floating celestial head. Spoiler alert. Maybe the Guardians are visiting that planet slash celestial head. Yeah, it's, it's not, not really a planet. planet. No. It's more of a system. Yeah. Anyways. Not really a system either. Make sure to tune in this Saturday, September 5th at 9 p.m., to catch that. On Disney XD. Did on, say on Disney XD? Possibly. Yeah, and if we haven't, it, we have now. It's on dozen, Disney XD. Dozen, dozen Disney XDs. What else? Oh, why, now that you mention it, I earlier this week posted Thor's Five Mightiest Moments, where we looked back at all of uh, the moments that prove Thor's might and why he deserves to be. In the films, of course. We should note that we just jumped from, from animation to film. Yeah. Doi. I was getting to it. Okay. <laughs> I was getting to it. I, Maybe. I just, because, you know, Thor is in animation as well, so I just wanted to... That's true. Well, I'm glad I have you here. That's why you're my assistant, is so that you can keep an eye on those things. And uh, grab you coffee. Yes, the, that as well. So, we posted the, the five mightiest moments in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Speaking of the Cinematic Universe... Today, I posted a featurette about what it was like to bring Vision to life. Joss Whedon and Paul Bettany talked about the process of going from Jarvis to uh, realizing the vision, if you will, in Marvel's Avengers Age of Ultron. 
later this week, depending on when you listen to this, we'll have more, even more feature rights posted about the car chase in South Korea and uh, gag reels we'll be posting later this week. So that's really cool and exciting. And why are we posting all these things right now, Patrick? That's a great question because on September 8th, you are able to purchase Marvel's Avengers Age of Ultron on 3D digital and digital HD. But I know what you're saying. When can I get, uh, when can I get it on physical media? Because physical media... What is that voice? That's what the, are you even trying to do? Just like people who are whining. What? That's... Are you insinuing that our fans are what? Please do not take Patrick's caricatures to heart, okay? Uh, no one takes anything I say to heart. They take what I say to fart. <laughs> I, can you hear the sound of Mark's eyes rolling around in the back of his head? Anyways, if you're looking for a copy of Marvel's Avengers Age of Ultron on 3D Blu-ray, Blu-ray, DVD, digital SD, or VOD, you're going to have to wait until October 2nd. So digital HD and 3D digital, September 8th. Everything else, October 2nd. All right. I can keep saying more things no, if you no, want. No, no, no. We're going to be – we're going we're gonna to call it. All right. Thank you all for listening. As always, we wish you uh, – We'll talk with you again in seven more days. We wish you a splendiferous weekend, a splendiferous er week. And as always, I sincerely apologize for Patrick. Okay, guys, you know what? Before we even get to Twim URC for this week, we got something special for you, something we've never done before. We're going to, uh, to talk to some folks from Marvel Puzzle Quest, from Demiurge, who make Marvel Puzzle Quest, and they're going to give us some really cool information on some new stuff. It's a big old announcement that uh, we put together just for this week in Marvel. Uh, and, you know, for this section, I thought it would be appropriate if I brought in someone else. So I'm joined by... Oh, Ben Morse, editor of Marvel.com. Thrilled to be back with my boy Ryan. How you doing, buddy? Very well, very well. Yeah, and uh, yeah, this is huge. We have not done a breaking games announcement on This Week in Marvel before. This is a really big deal, and this is also a really big announcement, so it warrants it. Um, so without any further ado, I'm going to let the gentlemen from Demiurge introduce themselves because uh, there's, there's a collective over there. Uh, we, we, we need more than one. Um, so guys, if you want to, uh, let our listeners know who you are and what you do over there, and then let's get to the announcement. Cool. My name is Will Jennings Hess, and I'm the lead designer on Marvel Puzzle Quest. Uh, and I'm Miles Benjamin. I'm also designer on Marvel Puzzle Quest. All right. Cool. Welcome to the show, guys. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Great to be here. So, I mean, Ryan, do you want to do like a drum roll or something? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh my God. You got to keep telling you, you got to quit. Um, but guys, tell us, uh, what's the big announcement? What is, what is happening with Marvel Puzzle Quest that was so big that we, we couldn't break it in a traditional way? Yeah, this is, this is real big. Uh, the game has been around for about two years. Uh, if you haven't played it, it's... Yeah, we've been adding, I mean, so many new characters, so much new content, and, uh, you know, and what we're really excited to do is that we're expanding sort of the end of the game, you know, the sort of high tier stuff by adding a new rarity of character. Yeah. Um, so uh, that that first new character that we're announcing today is uh, Silver Surfer. Boom! Uh, coming to Marvel Puzzle Quest. Uh, we're Hot extremely boom. excited uh, to bring him to you. Uh, he's a new five star character. We had to, you know, ask the uh, the artists 
real nicely to add an extra star next to all the characters, you know, so we could fit that in. But, uh, you know, it all worked out, and we're happy he's, uh, he's on his way. So, guys, what does the presence of a five-star character, which is unprecedented, mean for Marvel Puzzle Quest? Yeah, uh, it means that, uh, So, that, uh, like I said before, the game has been around for about two years. Um, and uh, I think one of the things I'm proudest about about this game is that we've managed to make a really deep game that people play for a really long time. Um, and get really into all the different strategy and collecting all these different characters and figuring out how they fit together. Um, and the introduction of five stars means that we're able to uh, to like extend extend that game longer to add deeper strategy to the game, add more powerful characters that uh, that you can go after. Yeah, we've never really you know over the like I said, this game's been around for two years and we've added a lot of content for you know the existing rarities. Um, but this is the first time that we're really like. Pushing, pushing the envelope back, you know, and like getting, bringing on a whole new section for people to to start to poke around in and, and explore. Right, brand new end game. Very cool. Very, 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 very cool. Now, Silver Surfer, of course, is going to be the first five star character. Are there more five star characters planned? Is anyone going to get an upgrade to become a five star character, or for now, is Surfer the guy? Surfer will be the guy for a little while. We're planning to release two more five stars, one a month, mm. in the next couple of months, just so that there there will be some some a nice chunk of variety and interesting strategies at the five star level. Yeah, you know it's it's no fun if everybody just has Silver Surfer. You know, yeah. we have some, some interesting gameplay going on in this in this new rarity. Right. Um, but yeah, but Silver Surfer is going to be the guy uh, to start out with. And uh, we've, we've uh, really pulled out all the stops to make sure that he's going to be uh, exciting for players. Natural follow-up question there is why the Surfer? Why the Silver Surfer as the introductory five-star character? Um, you know, I think he's, uh, he's one of those characters that we, you know, we try to have all different sort of power levels of characters exist in every rarity in our game. Um, but he's one of those characters that never really fit into one of our other, like, you know, uh, can you really imagine, you know, Iron Man going up against Silver Surfer? That doesn't seem like they're on the same tier. So we wanted to like pick somebody who was like a big name, like big impressive character that we could roll out for our first one. Yeah, yeah. for our first one. Nice. And and he'll be joined by other characters, you know, the same way we do all our other rarities, you know, uh, of of varying power levels. They're just you know competing at this new uh, this new uh, level. Yeah, we try to get we try to get a, a little piece of all the different corners of the Marvel universe in our game. Very cool. What other stuff can we expect coming up, guys? I mean, I know the introduction of a five-star character is a big deal, but you guys are never ones to rest on your laurels. What other uh, gameplay aspects, what other cool things are coming ahead in Marvel Puzzle Quest? Yeah, we've got a, we've got a ton of stuff coming uh, through the rest of the year. Uh, we, we can't talk about all of it, but uh, one <laughs> <Of course>. thing, <laughs> not enough time, but, uh, but um, uh, something that's coming up uh, just next week is where uh, we, we run this event called The Gauntlet where you yep. try to get through harder and harder missions, get as far as you can, and we're, we're, we're re- we've revamped that. Yeah, so, uh, so players who are familiar with uh, Marvel Puzzle Quest, The Gauntlet is a series of progressively harder missions that you try and, you know, there's no competition. It's just like how far can you get, yeah. you know, and, and the rewards are pretty generous. You know, they're pretty, so it's very exciting to see how far you can make it. I've never finished it on my personal, you know, account. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, uh, throwing The Gauntlet in more ways than one here. Um, and we've really revamped this uh, this time because we've, uh, 
We've added Ultron, who was uh, we had a boss oh. battle against Ultron when the movie came out, and that was really exciting. And we've uh, revamped this event to uh, you know to have Ultron in it and to have it really be Ultron throwing down the gauntlet. Uh, and we're hoping players will will uh, be excited by the new experience. And when you say the movie, you of course mean Marvel's Avengers: The Age of Ultron. Ryan, Thanks. when is that available on uh, DVD and Blu-ray? Uh, I believe on um, Digital HD, it's next week, and then uh, September 8th, and okay, then cool. I was, after I was that, just, in October. I was just, I was just so, curious. I was well, just... so so next week, uh, <laughs> along with the, the digital release of the movie, you'll be able to play this event in our game uh, featuring Ultron. I was going to ask, what's the timing on the release of the Surfer and also the other improvements you guys are making? Uh, let's see, the Surfer's coming out next week. That's right. Wow. Yeah. yeah, which is, uh, you know, it's exciting. Coming down to the wire here. <laughs> and of course, we're going <laughs> to have some expanded coverage coming up later this week, maybe by the time you guys hear this on the site, as we always do, with the Puzzle Quest uh, team talking about Silver Surfer, what he brings to the table. Uh, you know, Ben Jabala does those. He's going to do a great job. Um, so we'll have more on that, but is there anything else you guys wanted to cover before we let you go back to designing more five-star characters, of which I assume um, the original Nova Rich Rider will be one? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, I, I think I'm good. I, got, I covered everything I wanted to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't wait to see what people do with his, his ability that puts down a black hole. Imagine uh -huh. having a black hole in a puzzle game. Yeah, yeah <laughs> yes. So we really, like I said, we pulled out all the stops, and one of his, one of his abilities, you get to place a black hole on the, on the board that consumes the tiles around it over a number of turns and uh it's just it's something we've never done before and it's it's some really interesting gameplay uh, opportunities sounds freaking sweet guys i cannot wait guys thank you so much the fellas from demiurge from joining us ryan you got anything else uh i just you know i want to make sure you guys know you can send me a silver surfer anytime you want oh yeah i'm sure <laughs> thing. Totally okay yeah. with that slip those over <laughs> yeah right under the table no guys i'm super excited this is a lot of fun like just thinking about his moves especially the black hole and like the self-healing and, and little bits and pieces that we're going to be able to see with him uh i'm jazzed it's, it's super fun Awesome. Thanks, Ben, for having us on the show. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, guys, we just had Ben for that little bit, and it was great, uh, but it's time for Twim URC. Uh, Ryan? Uh, oh. You, not, you, didn't, you didn't hang up on me. I'm still oh. here. Well, it's uh, cool. What's, 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 what's Twim URC this week? The Twim URC this week is uh, Ares by Mike Avon Oming. Oh, my God. And this Travel is a, Foreman. This is a crazy coincidence, but I just... In the last two days, coincidentally, and possibly this morning, um, read Ares, God of War by Michael Avon Oming and Travel Foreman. So I could, I could stick around. Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's, do. let's do. Also, it's inked by Derek Friedolfs and colors by Len O'Grady. Um, yeah. When did this th bad boy come out? This? 2006. Look at you with the information. I've got yes, I do have the trade right in front of me. And I will say this was a Ricky Purden pick. He was yes. like completely unsure of what to pick, <laughs> and then he was like, "Wait, we'll do this one." And he loves great. this book. Ricky has always loved Aries. I remember because yeah, because um, we were at Wizard when it came out, and he was blown away by it. And I remember at the time, this was one of those. Um, when did I mean it, it took it took place post Avengers disassembled? I know that. Yeah, um, like uh, that's the interesting part. The they reference it, it briefly. Yeah, they, it references that 
the Avengers are in a weird. They're back together, but they weren't for a while. Yeah. But also that uh, Asgard is gone. Like, yeah, they keep hitting that point home, which I think is a reminder uh, that I had forgotten. Yeah, well, this was when Oming was doing all. The, he, it was all mythological stuff. He was doing all. He had done. He had done Thor. Um, he had done, had his run on Thor. I don't know if he had done Better A Bill yet. I feel like he had, but he was just like you know knocking them out one after the other. So then it comes out that he's going to do Ares, and everyone was kind of like, "Who's Ares?" I mean, we all know who Ares is because he's a he's a Greek myth. He's a figure from Greek myth. But as right. far as the Marvel universe, kind of a also ran villain, like a he was a Hercules and Avengers villain. So I remember being very surprised, and all it kind of grabbed our attention by like, really, Ares? I mean, that's the it's it's interesting because it's the type of thing I feel like we do Marvel as a company more now. We'll pull a character out of obscurity and do something with them, but in two thousand six, if I'm remembering correctly, that wasn't as big a thing. You wouldn't see like a kind of zealous character get his own limited series, right? Yeah, because it's it's a tough market, you know. Yeah. Then now, anytime, so you take someone who isn't super well known, and you basically build them from the bottom up. Uh, it, it it it's a crazy proposition, and you have Michael Avon Oming, who is amazing, but yep. at that point hadn't written a ton of stuff. No, primarily known as an artist because he yeah. was on Powers. Yeah, Powers. And, yeah, exactly. And Travel Foreman was new. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just one of those like kismet projects that it survived and came together in spite of the fact that it was a very hard sell. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting. I'm looking at the back of the trade that I'm holding right now and it says written by Michael Avon Oming and his credit is Stormbreaker, the saga of better a bill mm-hmm. and travel foreman, Supreme power, Dr. Spectrum. Mm. Now those are two pretty deep cuts. Um, Stormbreaker is phenomenal, though. We should do that another time. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't remember Doctor Spectrum as. I, I know I read it, but the, my point is, like, those were their. Those were kind of their headliner credits. Like, those were the biggest things they could pull, and those were not huge things. So yeah, it's like this was unproven character um, creators who were not the best known. It was a. It was a risky little gamble, and it turned out to be. I don't know how well it did commercially, but it did it, it did well enough that Ares ended up getting integrated into the Marvel Universe uh, pretty pretty soon thereafter. Yeah, so th- if this happened in 2006, um, he had a good run being like in a big place for, yep. I don't know, like four years, give or take well, he five got, years? He got brought into the Mighty Avengers. Um, that was his kind of in- after this. Was so, that Bendis and Cho? That was Bendis and Cho. He had a, a tremendous costume. I loved his costume. Uh, I mean, I love all his looks in here, but I remember Frank Cho gave him a great costume. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this book. The, the only, it, it, it's, it's interesting because the Bendis version and the version that kind of became the default version was not, didn't behave exactly like the one in this book. He kind of reverted a little bit to... You know, I'm a I'm a jerky former villain. Mm-hmm. Um, he never I, he never quite got the depth that he had in this book, although he was still very cool in, in, in different ways. And then, yeah, he ran until Siege because he got killed in Siege. Right. And then he got reunited with his son in the afterlife. Yeah. Major major spoiler alert. <laughs> well, at what point did his son get killed? 
his son got killed in the course of Secret Warriors because right, Bendis, right. Bendis basically, obviously Bendis and Omega are good buddies. So Bendis loves this book. So he brought Ares into Mighty Avengers and then he brought the son into Secret Warriors, but again, like revamped him. So he wasn't exactly as he was in this book. Um, and then over the course of Secret Warriors, he got, he got snuffed as well. Yep. So there was a nice there was a nice scene that Bendis wrote basically with the two of them reunited, but that's all takes place <laughs> way after Ares God of War, yeah. which is five issues of pure awesome. Yeah, which I mean, like I love how it opens up and we're in ancient history and like mm-hmm. a mythic battle, you know, and it's Ares right, you know, getting the forces together and, and huge crazy beasts and monsters and all this stuff and just vile uh, acts which you know really sets him up as such a jerk because yeah. they he says like you know, the bodies of uh, Hades army who were crushed by Ares were cut uh, bit from bit half of them were burned and then half made mm. into bread for the victors to feast yeah. on the others other halves were thrown to hell each man searching forever for their parts and that's like so messed up yep uh which really like those two pages say so much about who he was and why he is in the place he is when we really start to pick up with him right and then what we learn over the course of the book and you know and the whole story is that yes that was all horrible but it's kind of like well he's what they made him yeah. Like he, he's the God of war. This is kind of the role he was chosen to play. And, you know, this is how he was always treated by his family is basically like, Hey, we need a rabid dog to go and take care of our enemies. Go be that rabid dog. Except then afterwards they don't like welcome him back. And that's family is the big theme of this book. Um, it's, it's, it's about Aries, not, being appreciated by his family, which is kind of like it's it's the whole nature nurture thing. Uh, not even being unappreciated, like being openly scorned, scorned, and and it's like if your your dad, your brother, your mom, your cousins, your uncles, and your aunts were like, I don't like that. Guy. He is disgusting, and the yeah. things he does, I don't want him near anyone. And basically, him deciding like, well, I am going to build a life for myself away from all this. Uh, has a son. Son becomes his world, and then his son gets kidnapped by his old family because they need him to fight another threat. And then it's a story of trying to get his son back, but also this relationship between father and son, how they're bonded, you know, lies that were told, and then also his relationship with Zeus and his relationship with Hercules, and even a little bit of Hera. It's all very fascinating. It is someone who grew up, I was a Greek mythology junkie when I was a kid. It was like my favorite thing. Um, this was all just amazing to me. I was I was so psyched to see all these characters in the Marvel universe. Even though I mean we don't, it's not like Shield shows up or anything. It's it's not that tied to the Marvel universe. Really, the closest tie is they mentioned Thor, they mentioned the Avengers, and Hercules is in the book. <laughs> um, but still knowing that this is all taking place there, uh, it was all very 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 cool to me. And, yeah. And, and I like the the take on Hercules as well. Um, 
who's just we get this i mean usually we just see hercules is kind of like this lovable buffoon but here it's like when when he's not fighting among the avengers when he's fighting among his people he is their greatest hero and he carries a different weight but he's also his father's favorite son yeah, like part of it, I hear him say like, "Oh, you, all we need is me, and I will rally our troops." Yep. And then he looks over, he's like, "Right, Dad? Yeah, I'm exactly." For you, Dad. It's, it's, like, it's super weird. I love it. So yeah, he's like the spoiled little kid who just yeah. you know like, right? To, yeah, yeah, that was perfect. The way you described it was perfect. And yeah. Then, uh, yeah, and then Foreman's art is perfect because it's so it's so like just it's muddy. Is what I would call it. Not and when we say muddy to describe art, that's usually a negative, but that's not here. It, this needs to be that way. It's war. The whole book is war. I mean, it's called God of War. It's dirty. It's messy. It's very like the few scenes of like domestic bliss we see are in such stark contrast to everything else that's going on. Yeah, uh, a great job on colors here because there's a lot of like muted pages and so when the pages where the blood flows really heavily or the lightning is crackling like crazy or um you know when there's like there's a part where Ares lights himself on fire and has yeah. Hercules fastball special him into the throngs of his enemies it's like it has such a great impact because it's such a contrast yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I love I'm just I'm flipping through right now like just even the stuff where they'll bring in kind of not minor, but like less prominent characters like Achilles or Hermes. And I just loved all of that. Yeah. There's that two page spread that I I was like pouring over, uh, that has, uh, Apollo and Athena, Patroclus, Mm -hmm. Theseus, Ajax, Jason and his Argonauts, Perseus, like a whole bunch of other heroes. And they look awesome, but they're also like, yeah, that's great. We're not going to be able to, to beat the, the yeah, villain with none, this, none of this will work. Like the only one who does anything is Ajax who like breaks down a wall for them, which is, you know, great. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's really just, it's, it's, it's Zeus, it's Hercules, it's a little bit of Hera and, but it's mainly Ares and it's Ares doing this thing. We got to talk about, uh, Mikabashi, the Mikabashi. villain, who is this terrifying, uh, God of, is it God of fear? God of death. He basically rules hell. Um, the Japanese version of hell. Yeah, he's like the Japanese fear god. Um, um, they call him uh, Amatsu Mikaboshi, the August Star of Heaven, the Japanese god of evil. He has powers yeah. beyond any we've seen before. He possesses no deep code of honor as uh, many of the other Japanese warriors do. Yeah, which, by the way, that's just an example of like the prose that Omen gets to write in this book. Yeah, there's this great splash page of Achilles explaining basically what they're up against and how incredibly awful it is oh it's terrible he was such a good villain though and i was like he's he's so scary his design is so freaky it's like this weird one minute he's like this kabuki mask and then the next minute he's just this formless demon and travel form has a lot of fun with him and and we wouldn't see him for years afterwards. He ended up coming back in Chaos War, and I remember I was so excited because he's such a good villain. That's but right. He, but he's also a villain who you don't want to go to too often yeah. because he's not just a six-issue, uh, we-take-care-of-him thing. It's like you bring him out for the epic events, but he was so scary and just like insidious and didn't really understand his power, which made it even scarier. He was He's, he's excellent. Another yeah. Stand. 
And it was great because it also, you know, kudos to Omen because he takes a lot of sort of the, the themes, the, the familial themes in mythology uh, with fathers and sons and plays mm-hmm. upon that to cr- turn Mikaboshi uh, into Mikabashi, Mikaboshi, whatever, into this crazy villain and twist uh, Alexander, who is Ares' son, into, you know, turning on his family. Right. Um, so good. On a side note, Mikaboshi sounds like he should be an amazing, like, New Japan wrestler. Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, what would his finisher be? I don't Like, some sort of claw hold? A claw uh, hold or, like, uh, like a jumping backbreaker off the top rope? I don't even know, man. But, like, I, like, I'm picturing, I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah, Tanahashi versus Mikaboshi. <laughs> that totally makes sense. Like, yeah. just sounds right, yeah. Yes. But, all right, cool. We want to get to uh, reader thoughts. Um, yeah, I'm just say? I'm looking at the end here. I do want to say because in here um, is this does is this where uh, Zeus died? Yes, because Zeus was dead for a while. Zeus was dead for a while. This is where he dies. Right, and then um, that led to a lot of st- the stuff in the Hercules book. Yep, and then Hercules is basically eventually where Mikaboshi Boshi would come back. In Chaos War, we'll have to do Chaos War one of these days. We'll have to, to do uh, some incredible Hercules someday. Too, yes, because that yeah. is so good. Yeah, and there's actually we could yeah, there's some good Ares stuff in there too. Yeah, so, what we can do. Righteous, but uh, yes, let us get right into the uh, questions and comments and such. Okay. Yeah, first comment from unfamiliar name here, uh, Alec Belmore. Hmm. Alec Belmore. Slowly working my way through every Twin URC ever was starting with Avengers Forever. Thumbs up. <laughs> well, good job, Alec yeah. Belmore. Nice job, Alec Belmore. Not so, really applicable here. Started but... from the bottom, now you're working your way up. There you go. I believe Wait. it's uh, New Day who originally sang that. Yeah. Hold yeah. on one second, Ben. Yes. <clears throat> All right. All right. Don DJ Fanko says, oh man, Ares. They establish in a hurry his role as the Greek god of war. He rides a friggin' griffin into the sky to attack his foes. Into the sky! And he like uses some characters to show that he's cursing. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Don says, then he falls out of the sky and cuts off a giant's head. What? His power is monstrous. Hashtag over 9,000. Ben, do you know what that means? What that hashtag yes, is? in fact I do. Um, because... Uh, this not even forced another wrestling reference um at wrestlemania when ronda rousey came out for her segment she had a shirt that said over nine thousand, and i was like what the heck does that mean so i looked it up it's a uh, dragon ball z reference yes indeed yeah. so, have you ever watched dragon ball z i've never watched dragon ball z that's the only reason i know that is because ronda rousey wore a t-shirt oh uh, dragon ball z is so good I've i've heard good things yeah uh, all right, where are we with Don? He said, uh, hats off to Mike Oming. The series starts out almost as extreme as the 90s and takes a satisfying <laughs> turn into fatherhood. That's a great <laughs> sentence. Great sentence. Yeah. Uh, Don says, I enjoyed Alex and Ari's father and son, not just here, but also in Hickman's run on Secret Warriors, a very interesting duo. Yeah, I liked what Hickman did, um, even though, again, I said, like, his Alex is very different than the Alex we see here. The times he did get to use Ares, we did get like a nice kind of kickback to here. Their interaction with Secret Warriors is good. Secret Warriors is obviously another book we should probably oh, yeah. do soon for various reasons. Totally. Yeah. Um, Don says, truth. 
Ares, in quotes, evokes not just the power of war, but something more. The will to do the deeds. Yeah. That's a quote from the book, right? Yeah. Okay. And he says, uh, this is what Ares, God of War, comes down to. Fatherhood. And then it it has the the first page of the last issue of the series, which is, you know, talking about what Ares is fighting for. Yeah, and I love that he goes from, like, the little mohawk in the first issue, but then, like, basically... Basically, this this book takes place over the course of like five years. Yeah, which they that, allude to. That's a good point because that is bananas to yeah. me. Like five years of them fighting this war, and yeah. because they're you know sort of in this mythic land, and, and you know it sort of exists outside of regular time and space and everything, so it could happen. Yep. In just you know, whereas on Earth it might not yeah. seem the same. But it's like they go in and he has this tiny – well, he's bald because he just burned all his – everything off. And now he has this giant, like, 90s mohawk. Yeah. Um, he looks like he should be in, like, Streets of Rage or something. Oh, man. He'd be so good in Streets of Rage. <laughs> Johnny M's says, great pick this week, guys. Been listening to you for a year, and this is my first from URC I've read. I'll have to jump into Annihilation next. Any chance you'd pick something – from the Ultimates for a future Twimmy RC. P.S. Love the wrestling talk. We did Ultimate Spider-Man twice by accident, so <laughs> I think we're still trying to make up for that. Oh, that's funny. Um, uh, Eventually we'll get to everything. Yeah, for Johnny, I've got some information here. Uh, Annihilation was our second one. We did that. Uh, we talked about it in episode 86. Um, Ultimate Spider-Man, the first time, we talked about it in episode 95. Uh, and I know we did Ultimates, uh, we talked about that in episode 121. There so the actual Ultimates, that first uh, couple of issues we talked about already. Yeah, I'm sure we'll go back to the Ultimate Universe. Yeah, yeah, point. I was actually just looking at Ultimate X-Men, because I was yep. just thinking, that was fun. I that was actually, that. that was the first book that got me back into comics in college, so yeah. Nice. I'd love to re-explore that. Totally. Kyle Kelly, I think I found my Twim URC destiny. I will be the decapitation guy. <laughs> Whenever there is a good decapitation, I will be there. Hashtag decap. <laughs> and uh, that came in literally like four minutes ago because uh, <laughs> I have the Twitter page open and it told me there was an update. So I put that in the, in, the, uh, in the document we're working off of. But Kyle then followed up with, uh-oh, Alexander learned how to cut. Hashtag decap. Hashtag oh snap. And it's a page from, I think it's the last or issue where uh, or second to last where Alex has the blindfold on and he's just slicing his Dyson. Yeah, Alex becomes a little badass over the course yeah. of it. Yeah, and there's a great sound effect here. It's Chaslashashk. I, I don't even know how you would spell that. C-H-A-S-L-U-S-C, you know, S-H-K-K-K. Yeah, that makes sense. Of course. That makes sense. All right, a couple from Michael Brown. Uh, thanks for suggesting Aries. Never would have read it otherwise. Great story, wonderful art, and awesome letters by Joe Caramagna. Does Joe do some of the letters? Uh... Yep, someone else has a letter. Who does it say in our collected edition that we Yeah, yeah, Virtual through? Calligraphy's Joe Caramagna. Joe Caramagna. Yeah, yeah, It's the yeah. best. It's the best of the best. Uh, I really enjoy Twim URC, but I've missed quite a few. Is there a list of all the past selections so I can play some catch-up? You know what? You just said we have the list. I'm going to say maybe we'll put that up as a listicle in the next couple of weeks. Ooh. As a little, uh, we are 200 episodes in. Here's some of the stuff we've done. Sure. So. You send that over to me, and I'll uh, I'll get to work on that, Michael. 
righteous. Uh, <laughs> Ross Meyer says, Ares was a great series. Thanks for the wreck. I still prefer him getting ripped in half by the sentry in the siege, in siege though. <sighs> it was brutal. Tough way to go out. Yeah, man. That was, yeah. Sentry, uh, that's another book. We should, I'm just, like, mentally writing down all these, like, books we need to do. Yeah, we have plenty of material for Twim URC. Yeah. Uh, Squirrel Dad says, wow, so Ares is basically a god version of the Punisher. Kind of. Yeah. I would say... I think he's less discerning. Yeah, I would I would put my money on Ares. A, he's a god, but B, he has something to fight for. Yeah, At totally. least in this iteration. Yep. Uh, Squirrel Dead says, Are all leaders of god cultures great big D-bags then? Odin yes. and Zeus are jerks. Uh, in the Marvel Universe, we should, <laughs> we should discern. Um, in the Marvel Universe, all, all le- that I can think of. I mean, Odin and Zeus are the only real two that we ever see. True. And they're pretty, they're pretty much the same character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, Ref Gamelin replies to Squirrel Dead and says, Yep, uh, is Dark Avengers mini talking about... Um, uh, Ares' Dark Avengers mini by Kieran yep. Gillen is a really good representation of a godly Punisher with a heart. Yeah, that's Dark Avengers Ares. That's yeah. the name of the book. Check yeah. it out. Um, and uh, Ref Gamelin says, and his appearance in War Machine by Greg Pak is also awesome. Yeah, I know Greg had a lot of fun with that. He, he loved writing Ares. Yeah. So having War Machine versus God of War was, he, he really dug that one. Yes. Taskmaster 3000, is this the first time an L to the forehead has entered Greek mythology? Um, to my knowledge, <laughs> that was great. I love that. That just like took me by surprise. I was that was like this vicious battle, and then Alexander calls his dad a loser. Yeah, <laughs> so good. Funny. So good. Pretty funny. Um, you want to read this last one? Uh, sure. Let me scroll back to it. Uh, Truck Tub says, This has nothing to do with anything, but the Gambit digs every week for the last four weeks have made me so happy. It's more like the last, like... My life? 200 weeks. <laughs> 201 weeks. Hey, man. He's a D-bag. What do you he's want? He's a D-bag. So that, do you have more? Or is uh, that last one. Is that actually, more? Kyle Kelly just rolled in with one last. Jeez, uh, Kyle Kelly at the buzzer. Yeah, for sure. He says, another great pick, boys. This would have been a great Father's Day pick, though. Yeah. Made me want to go fight Japanese demons with my dad. Oh, I like that. That's bringing pretty Bringing fathers and sons together through <laughs> Japanese demons. Yes. Um, cool. Uh, cool. I'm glad so many people dug it. And, you know, yeah. again, it's a, if it's a book they wouldn't have read otherwise, then, you know, we're, we're happy to help. And give all uh, at Ricky Purden, there's an E in that, Ricky, um, a shout out on Twitter to thank him for suggesting this. Yeah. So that would bring us to the next one, right? Yeah, we got to pick another one. You want to do it? Yeah, I'll do it. Okay. So we're about half-ish way through our current Secret Wars. So why don't we go back and do the first six issues because 12 is a lot do the first six issues of the original Secret Wars, and that will be our next Twimmy RC, which we will cover in two weeks, which I will be back in the office for. Righteous. And if you're reading um, Deadpool's Secret Secret Wars, then oh, yeah. there's a lot of connectivity in there. Yeah, that's actually, that, that's that's nice uh, side-by-side reading. Yes, totally. To do. That'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, very good. I like it. And um, that wraps up this episode. Uh, Ben, you'll be back. We'll do this in person. 
Yes, I should be. Fingers crossed. Uh, next episode, I should be on the full episode, so Ryan's voice can get a break. Maybe <laughs> I'll maybe I'll do like the full episode with you just sitting there, so you can relax for a bit. Nice. I like it. It's a good idea. <laughs> All right. This is Marvel, your universe. <laughs>